Good evening, Australia from Under the Wire, and good day wherever you happen to be joining us from. My name is Meryl Dory, and Under the Wire is your home for censored and suppressed information about vaccination and health. And right now, we are more censored and suppressed than normal because I am no longer able to post any live videos to the Australian Vaccination Network's um, Facebook page. And I believe that uh, we are certainly being uh, censored on no compulsory vaccination as well as on my own Facebook page. So welcome to those of you who are uh, hardy enough to have found us on Facebook. Uh, last night's interview with uh, Dr. Andrew Kaufman was amazing, and it is up on the AVN Facebook page today, along with all of the links that we discussed last night. So if you haven't watched it yet, just go to avn.org.au and uh, just look at the blog. Um, at the top of the page, there's a blog link, and it is the latest blog on the page. You'll be able to watch last night's show, and that's where you'll find tonight's as well tomorrow when it gets uploaded to the uh, Rumble, BitChute, and Brideon and linked to the AVN page. Now, for those of you who have been paying attention on the weekend, uh, New South Wales is once again in lockdown. Uh, the whole Sydney area, its they call it Greater Sydney, but it goes from all the way north to all the way south. I think it goes as far as the central coast and down to Wollongong. Um, and they are in lockdown. They are not allowed to leave their house except for certain reasons. And there is a mask man mandate across the entire state. Uh, because a certain number of people, which is not a very large number of people, I think it's less than 50, uh, have tested positive using a fake PCR test, which is what I discussed last night with uh, Dr. Kaufman. The PCR test is not worth the paper it's printed on. And um, so this is simply a case-demic. It is something that the government is using to control everyone, to keep us off kilter, and to make us follow orders. And um, for the rest of New South Wales, other than the greater Sydney area, there are a lot of restrictions in place, mask mandates. Uh, you're not allowed to drink standing up. You've got to be sitting down because you see COVID only lives above a certain height. So if you are sitting in a chair, COVID can't find you. But if you're standing up, watch out, you're going to get COVID. Uh, you're not allowed to sing in public. Uh, not in church, not in any other situation, not allowed to sing, not allowed to dance except at a wedding. And then it's only the wedding party that's allowed to dance because, you see, COVID cannot possibly uh, attack the wedding party. It has a lot of respect for those sorts of rituals. So um, if you're part of a wedding party, you're safe. But if you're one of the guests at a wedding you are in big trouble if you get up and dance because once again, COVID is going to get you. Um, I don't know how stupid they think we are, but to be honest with you, there's a lot of compliant people out there and the compliant people are the problem. The government's not the problem because if we were not being so damned compliant, the government could say whatever they wanted and we would simply say, get stuffed. But it's because we agree and it's because we um, obey orders, even when we think it's not the right thing to do. And it is time for us to stop doing that. It is 
time for us to realize that being compliant is part of the problem. If we were not uh, saying yes all the time, then the government would not be able to get away with anything. So it's time for us to stop saying yes. It's time for some civil disobedience. And it's time for us to stand up on our two feet and be strong and simply say, no, we're not going to do that. Mask mandate, sorry, I have an exemption. QR code, sorry, I'm not going to sign in because that is a, a breach of my privacy. And in New South Wales, the government has had several serious leaks where information that should have been private was not kept private. Um, so I do not want to share my personal information with the state government because I don't trust that they're going to keep it personal. So, um, and not singing and uh, be not allowing more than five people in your own home. Sorry, my house, my castle. Uh, I will have whoever I want in here. So it is time for all of us to actually stand up. My guest tonight was a pre-record that I did a few days ago. Her name is Dawn Richardson, and um, she's been doing the activism work, the advocacy work for almost as long as I have, which is a really long time. And um, she runs the National Vaccine Information Center's advocacy portal. And um, I will have links to all of this in tomorrow's uh, upload on the AVN website. And she has also been kind enough to share a video, a 30-minute video on how to become an advocate and how to deal with your members of parliament. It's, of course, it's uh, because she's in the United States, she's basically uh, targeted as um, how to deal with your officials, your government officials, senators, congressmen, um, local council members, all of these people. And regardless of the fact that it was from the United States, the information that she's sharing is appropriate for anywhere in the world. So um, be, without further ado, I am going to go to my pre-record with Dawn, and I hope you enjoy it. I hope you get a really good takeaway message from it. And I hope you will also, very important, because of all the censorship, you see the little arrow at the bottom that says share while you're listening share this to your own pages share this to groups to other pages to anybody that you think would be um, would be helped by this information because we need to overcome censorship and we can't do it without your help so thank you very much for helping to share this information with others and I hope you enjoy my conversation with Dawn because I certainly did now. Good evening, everyone. I am here with Dawn from the NVIC Advocacy Portal. Um, Dawn, I have known of you for a very long time, since the 19, early 1990s, and uh, it's wonderful to finally get to meet you after all these years. Uh, thank you for joining us this evening on Under the Wire. Um, can I ask you, because I think it's really important to know where people came from and how they came to this issue, how did you start becoming involved in advocating for informed choice and human rights? Well, you know, I, I didn't come into it like I woke up one day and this is what happened. It kind of got dragged into it. Um, I even was a pretty lousy daughter at one point. I really 
I criticized my mom for not getting the cat vaccinated, but little did I know that one of the reasons why she was more resistant on getting the cat vaccinated was because I almost died from a vaccine reaction as a baby. But lo and behold, when um, I was pregnant with my first daughter, my mom shipped me my baby book. And there's there's a page, you know, health history, and it has the shot records. And um, it said on there that, uh, you know, I had a high fever, I was unresponsive. And it was just one of those situations where um, it was this aha moment and I'm like, oh my gosh, I really need to look into this. And then I found out that the state of Texas did not have a way to say no to vaccination. So based on that, I mean, it was very restrictive. It was a restrictive religious exemption where you had to belong to a recognized or organized religion, or it was a very restrictive medical exemption. And um, so decided to start working on getting that changed. And that's really how I got involved. Um, you know, I had had that at the MMR, but they were separate then. And uh, smallpox and two separate serious reactions. And my husband had some autoimmune conditions as a kid. I'm like, our kids are genetic time bombs. They're going to really have a hard time. And so, you know, there wasn't a way to just easily make a parental decision and a decision with your doctor, like, hey, this is not right for our genetic makeup in our family. So right. change, starting to change the laws. Yeah. I'm like, <laughs> okay, well, this doesn't work. So we're going to just change the laws. Kind of stubborn and naive, but it, but it ended up working. Let me ask you a question. Um, all through your period of growing up, your mother never spoke with you about the fact that you'd had these serious reactions. Is that right? It really was unknown to me until I got my baby book. I mean, it was kind of like water under the bridge. I had a, you know, rough childhood with different weird things, um, but uh, health issues. And I don't think people really connected it then. It, you know, it was just sequential, non-connected events. Um, but, you know, it was definitely pretty sick there after vaccination um, when I was a baby. And, uh, you know, it happened a couple times with the different vaccines. And so... Um, you know, I think she put two and two together later, but there wasn't really a conversation that we had until I got my baby book and I was like, uh, I need to look into this. Yeah. You know, I was leaning more natural anyway. I mean, I knew I was going to breastfeed. I knew we were going to, you know, uh, do a lot of the more wholesome organic foods when we introduce foods and things like that. So it was, it was kind of, um, it fit. It fit yeah. everything else. Um, probably would have figured it out eventually, but anyway, I was yeah. feel very lucky that we did not have to experience a child going through that. Yeah, that's fantastic. And you did something that a lot of parents, including myself, never did, which is you started investigating this while you were pregnant. Uh, too many of us, and I'm speaking for myself, believed that at the time that there were no risks to any vaccine. And we were never informed of anything while we were in that situation. No, and and there really weren't many books. I mean, I remember we would get like a newspaper article and we'd go buy all the copies of those newspapers and we'd give those to the legislators. So it wasn't, it wasn't, we didn't have as much on the internet at all. I mean, we just were getting started with email. There weren't really websites and then we started to have some websites but it was it was word of mouth it was faxes it was phone calls but we found like-minded parents and the one thing we did was we made sure we talked to our legislators because we knew 
that they held the power. They were the ones making the laws and we would tell our stories. And very simply, I would tell my story of how I almost died from vaccine reactions as a baby. And I was very concerned about my kids and the law didn't let me make that choice. And that wasn't right. And, um, you know, my friend Rebecca, that also advocated with us when we started our Texas group, her son was prenatally lead poisoned. And she was looking into the ingredients and in vaccines and saw metals and just, I don't want to add more neurotoxic metals. They, he, you know, her son was born having seizures. And so, you know, we had these personal stories trying to protect our kids. And we just went and told legislators. And uh, there was a bill that would have created a mandatory vaccine tracking system where everybody would be tracked. And we both, you know, we felt like this is not a good thing. You know, once we got to meet each other and, you know, we got together on the issue um, and became friends. So we started advocating to change that vaccine tracking system to be opt-in informed consent only. So only the people who wanted to be in it would be in it. And um, so that's how, you know, we got started. And then we saw that there was not really a way to just say no to a vaccine. So yeah. that's how we started. <laughs> that's brilliant. And I have to say that you're what you said about speaking to your legislators, this is something that a lot of Australians are terrified of. Um, the, the legislation, whether it's state or federal or even local, is put up on a pedestal and there's a wall between the community, the people who are the electors and the elected. And I think that there is an attitude in Australia that we can't possibly speak with them because they're way up here and we're only down here and there's nothing we can do to change it. So talk to me about that a little bit. You know, people who run for to be legislators, people who want to be elected officials, you know, except at the very highest level, they're normal, average, everyday people that are really, by and large, my experience, they're really good people, good at heart, and they're trying to make a difference. You know, there, of course, there are some people that are those career politicians and they get swayed a little bit, um, you know, little... I don't know, a little mesmerized by power and that. But for the most part, by and large, they're good people that want to make a difference. And they're just like everyone. Any Anybody can run to be a state, to be a legislator, you know. Um, and so they're trying to make a difference. So they are inundated with information from very powerful industries. There's a computer term. My background is in you know, computer uh, electrical engineering and um, I used to do chip design for IBM before I got into all this stuff. And there was a term called G-I-G-O, garbage in, garbage out. It's a computer term. If you put trash into your computer, you're gonna get trash out. And that's the, a term that I really feel exemplifies what happens when only industry talks to legislators. For instance, if you know a manufacturer for a certain vaccine is going around to the different legislators trying to get the vaccine mandated or you know funded for special circumstances or whatever, if the only people that the legislators are hearing from are people from industry whose power, positions, or profits are going to be 
enhanced by legislation, you know, then then we're we're in trouble. We're sorry out of luck. They're there to represent the people, not business interests. So you have to you have to take those the time to call the offices, talk to the staff, develop relationships with the staff, ask for your messages to be forwarded to the legislator that they work for. And um, you know, you don't need any special experience. You just need to do it, you know, and you don't even need to be advocating on a bill. You can say, you can call a legislator now and just say, you know, I'm hearing that maybe my my employer might want to mandate the COVID vaccine and I'm terrified about that because and give your give your little bit about your background and explain why that's important to you and you know ask if you could count on your legislator to either file a bill or support legislation that would make it an unlawful employment practice to mandate the COVID vaccine as a condition of employment. And, uh, you know, it, it starts with an, every bill starts with an idea and, you know, it might as well be from you. Absolutely. So. And if enough people speak up, um, the legislators will think, wait a minute, maybe I need to listen to this, even if only for the selfish reason that they want to be reelected the next time around. Um, well, yeah. And also, also explaining to them, this is for your family too. Do you want your kids to have to, you know, go get all these shots every year? You know, when, when there's so many reactions, you want the choice. It's, it's not just for them. It's for, for us, it's for their families as well. Do they want their, you know, it's just a matter of, look, we're not saying nobody should get vaccinated. By all means, the vaccine is available to anyone who wants it. What we're saying is that people deserve that right to be able to make an informed decision and make the best decision for themselves and their family because when it goes wrong, there's no going back. It's really hard to go back. And so, you know, we're just saying give us give us the ability to have informed consent and to say no without being segregated or discriminated against or barred from participating as a normal law-abiding healthy citizen in society. That is so reasonable and I don't understand why so many people can't see that. The government's authority stopped at our skin and it can't go any further than that and that's all we're asking. So Dawn, um, the COVID situation, we're definitely going to come back to, but I'd like you to, because I find it fascinating myself, and I think a lot of the people watching this who feel powerless at this time, and, and that's one of the things that I think the government is doing. There's this constant, it's probably different in Australia than it is in the United States, because we are still getting lockdowns all the time. There'll be two cases, asymptomatic cases reported, and the entire state will lock down, borders will close. You can't go from New South Wales to Queensland, from Victoria to New South Wales. And I think all this constant changing and chopping has made people very off kilter and feel like they are helpless. And one of the things that the AVN is trying to do is get them out of that, to realize that they do have power. There are more of us than them. And I think your story of how you started down in Texas well, up in Texas, actually, <laughs> is um, is so inspiring, and I think it's going to inspire a lot of people. So please, if you wouldn't mind, go back to that and tell us how you started to work with the legislature um, at the time that you began. Well, um, I live only about maybe 20, 25 minutes from our state capital, so that was very fortunate 
my friend Rebecca lived two and a half hours away in Houston and we would meet and go down there. And first we would send emails on the issues that we were concerned about. We would send some faxes and then we'd go down there and I'd have the stroller. I'd have my kids. She'd have her kids and we'd go door to door and we'd talk to the different legislators on the different committees where the bills were. And um, this was in the beginning. And you know, they say, hey, there's been a lot of people contacting us, not realizing it was me and her doing every every bit. But, you know, over a couple of years, you know, we grew to an email list of over 4,000 people. And then, you know, now we have, you know, close to 12,000 people that we reach just by email and other, you know, messaging services. We do, we do uh, texts, messages when there's a, when there's a bill that's moving that we need immediate, um, action on and uh we try and do social media but you know it's a little bit hard with some of the censorship i think it's really important for people to just start talking to their own legislator they don't necessarily need to start another group they can plug into meryl everything that y'all are doing and to you know to follow your lead on what they should be saying about you know certain situations and bills but also you know here in the states at NVIC, we have newsletters and we have, you know, information that's uh, educational. Um, I would recommend going to NVIC.org and sign up for the e email newsletters. We have uh, one publication called TVR or the Vaccine. And we have people, writers for us that write referenced articles every single week that you learn. And it, you know, if you read these publications, I think you know, Children's Health Defense is one. There's, there's a bunch of them out there that if you just spend a little time, maybe five, 10 minutes reading articles every day, put out by good organizations, you're gonna get to be really familiar with what the arguments are against some of the stuff where it's just gonna be second nature to talk to when you call your legislators. But even if you don't have that, if it's just you have a feeling in your heart you know somebody who had a reaction to a COVID vaccine and you don't want to be mandated, that's enough. You don't have to be an expert. You can just pick up the phone or send an email and say, hey, I'm really concerned the direction things are going with this vaccine and I don't want to be required to take it. I, I have some serious concerns. We have a family history of reactions or I know somebody who had a reaction or I've read articles about the reactions and I don't feel that, you know, I'm older, I'm not in a risk category, I feel like I'm healthy and would do fine if I ended up getting COVID, I'd rather not take that risk and I'd like that right and I'm concerned the direction that things are going. You just need to start a dialogue and as find out a name of somebody in the office of who represents you, the good who's like the health policy advisor or uh, the, the main policy person for your legislator and get their contact in for their email. And when you get a really good article, forward it to them and say, hey, you know, I'm wondering if you could share this with my representative, my, my uh, you know, my legislator, my senator. Um, I want them to know about this research that's coming out that's showing that if you've had COVID and you're, you're already immune, then you don't need a vaccine. Or, um, you know, this research showing that, you know, young people are at risk of heart problems or this or that. And, you know, I really don't want my kids to have to take that vaccine to go to school or, you know, whatever your story is, share your story and your, and, and what your desire is and ask them to file legislation to make sure you're, you can still feed your family and not have to take a vaccine because your employer is mandating 
it. Or you want to make sure that your grandmother, your your mother or your father or your grandmother can be in a nursing home and not be forced to take a vaccine or, you know, that you want to be able to go to the doctor without having to take the vaccine. Share those things. And those are all things that should be legislated to protect you. Um, you know, the only way that this is going to happen is if people pick up the phone or send an email or write a letter, even handwriting a letter and mailing it, you know, anything that you can do. I know it's hard right now to get together in person and show up yes. like you know, at live events. They're not doing that so much. Um, but do the modes that are open, do it. I mean, I will tell you, we are fully open here in Texas. There really aren't any restrictions and Florida as well. We both, you know, we worked hard to pass bills to ban vaccine passports here. We worked very, very hard. And guess what? The sky is still up. The sun is still shining. <laughs> People are healthy. People are happy. They're, you know, they're out in their, you know, their people's gardens are flourishing right now. I have friends that keep giving me cucumbers and tomatoes. You know, <laughs> life is good. You know, it, everything doesn't go to hell if you don't take the COVID vaccine and they don't do the passports. So, you know, I, I don't know. It's amazing. Um, <laughs> You've got that example there that other people can look at. And you're lucky with Governor Abbott, um, Governor DeSantis in Florida, very lucky. Uh, Biden called this Neanderthal thinking. And yet when you look at the experience in California, which is basically locked down and so many businesses are closed and New York the same and compare it to these states, you have to think maybe we should be look at what's succeeding and not what's failing. Yeah. And one thing that Governor Abbott did say in the beginning, now I will say, I mean, he did sign the legislation, but the, the credit really goes to the legislators who saw this and pushed it through. But one thing he did say when he lifted the restrictions and the mask mandates and all that, he said that one thing that they're not considering is how many people have already been exposed and developed some immunity. There are a lot of people that never had a test. They never knew they were infected. But honestly, you know, you can't just look at vaccination rates and you can't even look at we don't know. We don't even have adequate tests to truly show what your resistance is. And there are some people that they're going to be around it and they're never going to catch it. But they don't have antibodies, but they just have a different they're, they're healthy. Their their immune systems are working. You know, just be exposure doesn't mean you're going to get infected and get, getting infected doesn't mean you're going to get sick and die. I mean, most, the vast majority of people recover. This is, this is so fear driven and it's so, um, you know, yes, we want to be careful and especially be cautious around people who are, have sensitive immune systems or weak immune systems. We want to protect people, but this is a really important message, Meryl. It is not your responsibility. It is not my responsibility. It is not anybody's responsibility to have to take a risk with a vaccine to make up for the fact that a pharmaceutical company can't produce a product that's safe and effective for everybody. Absolutely. That is a really important point. This is, you know, if if the vaccine works and is safe for everyone, then nobody should have a fear of somebody who's not vaccinated. But it's not my responsibility to compensate for that for a company that can't do their job and make a product that works for people and is safe for people. And you know, that's just it. Especially since it's experimental and it's admitted that it's experimental. This has never passed the safety and efficacy studies that 
other shots do, and, and other shots don't pass real scientific safety and efficacy studies anyway, but this is admitted to be experimental until 2023. So to require an experimental treatment or preventative to be used goes against all codes of morality. It goes against the Nuremberg Code. It goes against so many other um, legislative uh, processes that have been put in place to protect us. And governments are acting as if this doesn't even exist. And when you talk about um, how many people have had uh, COVID or have COVID antibodies or are already immune to it, um, we can look at a country like Sweden where they never had lockdowns and they never um, had the social distancing and the, and the mandatory masking. And they said months ago that 70% of the population was already immune. Mm -hmm. So if that's the case and the government is trying to reach this, this mythical 70% vaccination rate to get herd immunity, well, we can do that without even using one shot because according to Sweden, just living your life can give people that sort of protection. And we're not looking at the science. We're not looking at what's happening in other countries. We're not even looking at the high rate of reactions and deaths that are being reported in the United States and in Australia, which is incredibly high. And the devastation that this is gonna be causing once it comes out is something that I guess it's the reason that you and I are doing what we're doing. So, um, yeah, what you know, it, it, one thing that hit me when we had a phenomenal bill here that would have just removed every mandate from the law books in Texas, like everything from, you know, daycare to schools to employers and preventing being proactive, preventing medical facilities from mandating and so on all down the line it would have just removed everything stripping emergency powers to vaccinate um and one of the things that struck me was hearing the young mothers come up and testify and tell their stories of the horrific things that happened to their children and thinking back to when i first started and the families who would gather to get to come and testify to the legislators telling the same stories and then, you know, there was one night I stayed up 24 hours to uh, try and testify in Connecticut because there was a bill there to remove the religious exemption. And I was born in Connecticut. And, you know, I, I'm in my mid-50s and I had had uh, the reaction when I was between one and two years old. I had a couple of reactions. And so I was still hearing the young mothers telling the stories. And I had had that you know, reaction like 54 years earlier. Why is this keep happening over and over again? Decades have gone by. We've witnessed decades and these stories are still out there and the government is not responding. Well, it's my opinion that there is not a carpet big enough to sweep all the bodies under for the COVID vaccine, honestly. I mean, we, everybody here knows somebody that's reacted, whether it's been, you know, a minor reaction or a real serious reaction, but the numbers are definitely piling up and people, you know, they are reporting, they're not reporting, not everybody's reporting, but there's enough reporting that I think we're over, we're probably over 300,000 reactions reported to the, our vaccine adverse events reporting system over, you know, over 5,000 deaths at this point, um, you know, that's recorded that we know of. And then, you know, there's all the ones that people are not associating with because, you know, they don't do the cause and effect. They just, it's just a sequence of events and they're not tying the two together. Yeah. But um, I think there's enough awareness now and enough people are speaking up that, 
people are a little more apt to raise a question when they don't feel so well afterwards and then things start going downhill for them. Yep. And and recently in Australia, the government uh, with the AstraZeneca vaccine, because uh, we're only using AstraZeneca and Pfizer at this point, they have recently um, contracted with Moderna to bring Moderna in as well. But AstraZeneca was used basically across the board. And um, then because of the blood clotting situation, the government said only people over the age of 50 should be taking the AstraZeneca vaccine. And then just last week, they said only people over the age of 60. And what happened was mass cancellations of um, all of the appointments that people had made to get this shot. People were canceling it and the government panicked and um, they actually announced that the military was going to be taking over the vaccination campaign without any explanation whatsoever. And I mean, I don't want to sound like I'm looking at conspiracies. I believe there are conspiracies, but I'm not a conspiracy theorist. But the fact is that why would we have the military involved in instituting a health policy um, that has never, there are no long lines for vaccinations in Australia. There are not people who have to wait months to get the jabs. Um, it is a concern. And it's one thing that I think we look to the United States and we see that you still claim your rights. When you were talking about going and seeing your legislators and because of COVID now, contacting them, a lot of people have the feeling that they can't do that, that the legislators aren't going to listen to them. But what you are doing and what you have done in the past and what has been successful is so simple and so common sense that I think everyone can do this. And we have a lot of people contacting us now saying, I can see how serious this is. I want to get involved. Tell me what I can do. And I think that what you have done has created a roadmap that we can follow here in Australia. So I just think it's it's important for us to speak up. Yeah, and, yeah I, it, it absolutely is. And I think that we're at a time right now where we're at a crossroads and things are going to go one way or the other. You don't want to wake up a week from now, a year from now, five years from now, wishing you had done all that you could to communicate with legislators to make sure that you are able to help you know, live your life and not have to show papers, you know, to show either your vaccination status or, you know, your past um antibody responses or your test results just to be able to function in society we have to snap people out of this mm -hmm. fear-based situation that that that's been generated this is not a good situation we're at a crossroads i am um, I was speaking to uh, some advocates in a state today. They have a bill that would allow for a for exemptions for adults for the workplace. And I was explaining to them that we don't want a bill like that because what that would do is that would be the state government codifying that we accept as an acceptable policy that mandates for adults in the workplace. We don't want to ask permission for the from the government yeah. to be able to live our lives and be able to work and feed our families and be healthy and move about in society normally. We don't want that. That's not freedom. Um, I gave them the example. There's this old uh, parable about fleas being in a jar. And if there's a cap on the jar, the fleas only learn to jump as high as the cap because they hit the cap and they can't 
they can't get out. And I don't even know if this really happens with police, but it's a really good analogy. Anyway, they get conditioned and they learn and they, they don't jump any higher. And then you take the cap off the jar and the fleas can't seem to recognize that the freedom lies outside the jar. They only can jump as high and they can't get out. And so for people that are bought into this paradigm of the government should be mandating vaccines and you should ask for exemptions, they're not going to realize, no, that's not freedom. Those are fleas in a jar. We, the freedom lies outside the jar, people. We don't want mandates. No mandates. Let people research and pick and choose which vaccines they want to take for themselves and their family. And if the vaccines are safe and effective, a lot of people are going to take them. If there are problems with them, they're not going to take them as they shouldn't if they're problematic. So, you know, this whole notion of saying everything is safe and effective, it's disingenuous. No, for the people who have had serious reactions, they're not. And to say otherwise is being dishonest. We have to acknowledge that vaccines can affect people's immune system. It can give them, you know, some protection from severe symptoms sometimes, but they can also do some harm. And when the governments are not being honest about the good and the bad, and they're skewing it one way or the other, the people catch on to that. They want to be told the truth and they want to make a good decision. You know, how do you think it's going to work when the government said the vaccine was safe and effective and someone's child dies? Do you think they're ever, ever going to get a vaccine again? Hell no. But if they were told, look, these are the risks and these are the real risks. And, you know, this is a percentage of people of this and that. And then people, you know, even with COVID now, at least some of the risks are a little bit more transparent and people are still, some people are still because of their situation with their jobs or whatever, they're still electing to take the vaccine. And that's their choice. And that's how it should be. People should be able to say yes or no, based on their own decision with they can consult with their doctors, they can consider their family history. What we don't want is one size fits all. Everybody has to get vaccinated, or you're going to be segregated, separated, discriminated against or not being allowed to have public access to services or events or, or venues. We don't want that. That's that's not the world that we grew up in and things are taking a turn to become more and more restrictive and we have to speak up. Now is the time. Like I said, you don't want to look back, you know, next week, next year, five years from now, 10 years from now and wish you had done everything you could to stop this. There are parts of the world that they are absolutely saying no to mandates and to these vaccine passports. We did it here in Texas and we did it in Florida and there's other states. Montana has a great bill that passed that even they, you know, that they even stopped the mandates. Um, Right. Uh, for work even. And so there's multiple bills on our advocacy portal, nbicadvocacy.org. We have all the bills listed. We have several states that have passed legislation restricting things. Um, and then there are the states that are just locking down and, you know, everybody's, there's bills to mandate the vaccine for school, for, you know, different situations. And so those states, the people are literally fleeing in droves. I saw a uh, political cartoon that was pretty funny. And um, 
it gave uh, Governor Cuomo of New York the award of being the best realtor for Florida. <laughs> yeah, the only issue is if all those New Yorkers and Californians move to Texas and Florida, that they don't bring their policies along with them because you need There's to enough people telling that don't vote for the people that got you in this mess. Don't vote for those types of people in your state. You know, find out. And you can't, you can't base it on party alone. I don't know how, you know, it is in Australia, but like you have to talk to each individual person running because you know the people making bad policy you know it's they can come from anywhere and uh, you've got to scream yeah. out no. now australia's but, system is different it's more like canada's and the uk's um in in america you can have republicans who tend to be a little more left-wing and um, Democrats who might lean a little more to the right. In Australia, you may have that. You have some independence, but um, people have to vote along the party line here. And uh, if, if their party is backing a piece of legislation, they need to get permission to actually get what's called a conscience vote and vote against that. And that almost never happens. It's happened with abortion legislation and with a few other things over the years. But it is much more difficult to get a sitting politician to actually support what you want, except to do it in the back doorway where they might go to the caucus or they might go to the prime minister or the premier and say, we are getting a lot of flack on this. We need to speak about it or we're not going to win the next election. So it's different. That shows how important what you were saying that people, all everybody start contacting them because it sounds like what you're going to have to do is shift the whole party over to one position and um, getting them to be representative of what the people want mm. and because we've allowed vaccinations the the word vaccination to be equated with mother's milk with health with everything over the years for a politician to come out and even ask a question about vaccines um, is tantamount to career suicide. We have a party here called One Nation. Uh, Pauline Hansen is the leader of the party, and uh, Malcolm Roberts is the uh, is another person in the party in our Senate, in our federal Senate. And recently we had a hearing, actually a series of hearings, in the Senate called Estimates, where uh, senators get to ask questions. And Malcolm Roberts used his three sessions to ask questions about the COVID policies and the vaccination and he has now been tarred as an anti-vaxxer. He's been threatened by the TGA, which is our Food and Drug Administration, that his asking these questions is tantamount to advertising natural therapies. And, you know, he's not backing down, but it could be Thank suicide goodness. for him. Yeah. So that's it's it's so important for the legislators to know that you have their backs by contacting them and giving them good, solid information so that they can step up and do the right thing. They need to know the people are there to back them. I mean, because clearly there's risk, you know, um, absolutely to, to, to doing so. Yeah. And I loved your flea analogy as well. I have to say. I'm from the United States, obviously, um, and I lived there until I was 30. So 1978 was when mandatory vaccines came in in the U.S. And at that time, I remember seeing the um, 
the posters on the subway trains when I would go into work and it would talk about, you know, school is starting, you've got to go and get your children vaccinated. And I clearly remember thinking, why do they even need to advertise this? Doesn't everyone want to help their children and keep them safe? Doesn't everyone want to vaccinate? Uh, I think back to it now and it's crazy. But I grew up as a young adult with compulsory vaccination and never questioned it, never thought twice about it. And I interviewed last week Ted Ted Kuntz from um, Vaccine Choice Canada, and yeah. mm-hmm. it is such a it's such a crazy thing. But he told me that only two provinces have have a requirement for you to actually put in paperwork to say that you're not going to vaccinate. Um, and even then, all you need to do is put in that paperwork, and you don't need to vaccinate your children. The rest of the provinces and territories don't require that. And I was taken aback because I was thinking, wow, that's freedom. You don't even have to say anything. And I hadn't realized how much in that paradigm of asking for permission I was. And right. it's it's not the way that we should be. We don't need to ask the government for permission because they don't have the right to tell us what we have to do with our children, with our families, with our bodies. It's not their right at all to do that. And um, thank you for that analogy. Thank you a lot to back us on that. Yeah, yeah. absolutely. Um, well, you know, if anybody is thinking that you can't make a difference, I am here to tell you that we have had legislators pull down bad bills from one phone call from one constituent, they or one visit from one constituent telling the story of what happened to their children. It's really important that if you have had a vaccine reaction or your child or someone that you know, that you tell your legislators or the staffers. Some of the younger staffers that work, they they might not have come across somebody who's had a reaction. And then explain what that does to your life in terms of, you know, not being able to maybe lose an income because one parent has to stay home and care for the child because they can't go to regular school or, um, you know, that you've got, you know, serious health issues and the child will never be able to be on their own or, you know, whatever. Talk about how this has impacted your life, you know, strain on your marriage, on your ability to be able to spend time and visit family because, you know, your child has a hard time and because of, you know, the conditions that they've been left with because of the reactions. They need to hear your stories. This is real. This is this and this affects your life. They don't don't assume that they know this. They really don't. They need to hear from people that have had reactions. So minimally, you have to share your story of what's happened. And then you relate that story to why you're taking a certain position. You know, look, you know, we've already had enough vaccine reactions normally and we don't want the COVID vaccine. My kids are young. They're not at high risk. I'm healthy, not at high risk. We don't have any older people living at home with us or, you know, whatever moves you based on your situation and how you can relate your story to backing that position. You can tell your legislator that you don't even need to say support this bill or support that bill. Ask them to file a bill to help make sure that you can still have your job and not take the vaccine. You know, that's really important. It's not saying that you're not going to take the vaccine. You might. 
But don't you want that choice? What if right now, you know, I mean, at least in the United States, we've got several manufacturers that people can choose from and people are making choices based on, you know, their personal situation. They know that they know there's risks and they're saying, you know, this this one vaccine is probably better for me than the other. And they're making those choices. You guys don't even have that over there. No. Um, <laughs> it's amazing. And, you know, and so that's, that's even more of a problem that you're locked into one thing and then, you know, gosh, if you have compulsory and then you don't even have a choice over it, it's, you know, um, that's, that's really awful. It is. All the more reason. When we first started vaccination here, um, or the, the COVID shot, um, we had two shots. We had AstraZeneca and Pfizer. And the government said that doctors were not allowed to advertise which shot they had available because they didn't want people to choose to go to one doctor and take one shot over another because there were only limited quantities of each one. So you wouldn't find out until you got to the clinic. You made your appointment, you went to the clinic, and if they said AstraZeneca and you actually wanted Pfizer, you couldn't do it. So I mean, our choices have been completely restricted by the government, and now AstraZeneca is only for people over the age of 60, so the government has uh, has said we're going to get Moderna shots in, so it's a, it's a question of mRNA or mRNA. You have no other option. We're not getting Johnson & Johnson. We're not getting, uh, I forget that other one, the one that's uh, a, a protein-based vaccine. We don't have that one in Australia, so, um, you know, it, we, are, we are totally restricted on our choices. And it's it's started with our emergency declaration, which the government has been extending. The federal government has been extending the emergency declaration. Last week, they extended it again for three weeks. Now, I want to tell you, we have 154 so-called active cases of COVID in Australia right now. I think we have 12 In the whole country? In the whole country. We have 12 people <laughs> in hospital. We have not, we have had one death since January put down to COVID. And the government is extending the declaration of emergency and we we are going to be taking them to court over this because the legislation is very clear an emergency declaration must be backed by a proportional need and when you have 154 people in an entire country who are testing positive the vast majority of them totally asymptomatic, um, then you do not have a proportional need to control our lives, to control our movements, and to tell us that we have to take an experimental medication. So it's, it is insane. Absolutely insane. That, that's absolutely insane. We have more than 154 people just in the town I live in. You know, it's like, it's pretty prevalent. You know, everybody I know had COVID, you know, just about everybody. Like, and if they weren't tested, you know, they can tell you all the symptoms they had on what days. And I was like, yeah, yeah, I had COVID. Oh, yeah. You know, I mean, I don't, I actually don't know anybody who can say I did not have COVID. I know it's the truth. And I used to joke when I would do seminars, I would joke and say, well, it wasn't a joke, but you know, people would talk about how they were afraid of whooping cough. They were afraid of measles and, you know, children would die from this. And I would say, well, it's possible if you're sick enough to die from the common cold. And here we have the entire country terrified of the common cold, which is basically what coronavirus is. Um, you know, COVID-19, we don't know how different it is because we don't really know if we can trust what our testing is showing us. But um, we need to be able to give people that choice and to know that. You know what I wish they would look into, Meryl? What's I that? wish they would look into the role of how previous vaccinations 
you know, their history and then how people react to COVID. I'm not a scientist. I am a policy person. But, you know, just from my personal contacts, the people who have had a really hard time and some people have been extremely sick. We know some we know some, you know, somebody who's died and, um, you know, and just looking at their health history, I have yet in my again, this is just my personal experience. I'm not making a statement for everybody. But in my personal experience, the people who have had a hard time with COVID are usually the people who are very faithful at taking the flu shot every year. Is there a connection? I don't know, mm-hmm. but I do know they're not looking into it no. and they need to look into what do years of previous vaccinations, how does that affect how you respond to COVID? You know, I, I just wish question. they would look into that and be honest about it because that, you know, people need to be able to make decisions, you know, and save themselves if they want to get vaccinated for something, for something that's more dangerous than another thing, you know, or, or not, you know, they, they need information. We just need information. And this stuff is not being researched adequately at all. Absolutely. And that's something that a vaxxed versus unvaxxed study would do. And here in Australia, you're talking about the tracking and tracing that you got rid of in the 1990s. Well, At the time that the AVN got the conscientious objector clause put into federal legislation, the government had instituted what was called back then the Australian Childhood Immunization Register. This was in 1998. We have socialized medicine, so everyone has a Medicare card, and we don't pay for our treatments, very much like Canada. Uh, Most treatments are covered 100%. You may have a small copay, but um, it's mostly 100% paid for by the government. And when they brought in the register, it basically meant that the government was able to track which children were vaccinated because it was only children under the age of seven until recently now it's all Australians um, who had gotten vaccines and which vaccines they got so we have records for over 20 years of everyone who's vaccinated and everyone who is not and that information is linked with our Medicare database, which is all coded for, okay, all the conditions have a different code. And since 2003, we have been urging the government to do a study using the information in the yeah, database, which is totally to de-identified. It's de-identified. There's no problem with any kind of um, uh, you know, lack of, of uh, security for your personal information. And to mm-hmm. study, here we have a cohort of children who are completely unvaccinated, children who are partially vaccinated, children who are completely vaccinated. Here are the codes for the different uh, diseases or illnesses or infections they've been treated for. And we can very easily, with the push of a button, you're a computer person, it would not be that hard to write a program to pull that data out. And, and to study it, and the government has consistently refused. And we actually had the head of the um, NCIRS, the National Childhood Information, I can't remember what NCIRS stands for, uh, about seven years ago on national TV lie to me and say that that study was already ongoing and we have done a freedom of information request and they have no information that any study was ever initiated or is being conducted. Um, this is a huge cover-up that's going on in Australia. We have the data that you're looking at that will show what the health status of these people is, not necessarily from COVID, but um, we will certainly be able to see who's been treated for COVID symptoms since the beginning of the campaign. And we would know whether they were vaccinated or not vaccinated. And the government Mm -hmm. has that data and is refusing to look at it, probably because it might interfere with their vaccination campaign. 
Mm -hmm. Unbelievable that you have all that right there. It would be very easy. You could start looking at things like the number of doctor visits, the number of prescriptions. These are things that are already coded. You know, me thinking like a computer person again, these are things that are already coded and you can just use the existing data and come up with some of these um, analysis and, and, you know, you don't even necessarily need to draw a conclusion, just tell the data, you know, here's how many people are unvaccinated, here's how many people are vaccinated, and just, just give the data, how many doctor visits, how many, um, you know, how many instances where you've had a prescription, how many times have you had repeated infections for the same thing, and so on and so forth. So, right. uh, yeah. I know from my personal situation, my eldest child was vaccine injured. And um, I remember saying to my doctor when he was about two and a half years old, he, he was on Augmentin, which is a very strong version mm -hmm. of amoxicillin for three months straight um, because he kept getting ear infections. And I remember saying to my doctor, it would be cheaper for me to pay you rent than to pay you by the visit because we're here so often. And with my unvaccinated children, my, my youngest child, uh, we took her to the doctor for the first time when she was seven years old and the doctor pulled out her folder and there was only one page in there and it was the page from when she was born and he'd gone to visit her in the hospital and he said, something's wrong here. I don't have anything else for her. And I said, no, what's wrong here is that you are confused that you don't have any other pages because she's perfectly healthy because she's unvaccinated. And he didn't want to hear about it. He did not want to hear about that at all. And that is the experience of so many families. And I'm sure you're perfectly well aware of it. Uh, we've done two surveys mm -hmm. over the years uh, among AVN members. And one we did in a, um, in a mainstream parenting magazine where we surveyed them on their health status on asthma and eczema and all these other things and the results were so clear that that the children who were unvaccinated basically had very few health problems and the children who were vaccinated had very many health problems and this cuts to the core of what most parents, I mean, everybody who's a parent wants the best for their children, whether they vaccinate or they don't. But it, the core of the issue is, will vaccinating my child make them healthier or not? Will not having measles mean that I have a healthy child? And will being vaccinated against measles even mean that they're not going to get measles? These are the questions that we are asking and that most parents would want to know the answer to, even if they don't know they want to know the answer to those questions. And these are the questions the government is refusing to answer. And um, it's, it's one of the things that I think we really need to get people aware of. And I think what you're doing with the advocacy portal, with actually publicizing all of this, is, is so incredibly invaluable um, that I, I just cannot get over how powerful it is what you're doing. So um, I would like to very quickly. <laughs> I'd like We've to definitely passed. We've passed a lot of good bills. We've stopped a, a heck of a lot of bad bills. Yep. and. Um, it, it really does make a difference. You know, as I was listening to what you were saying about the com the comparison of the vax kids versus the unvaxed, I couldn't help notice but wanting to point out your T-shirt for Vax 2 because that movie, if, if, you, if, if you're on here and you haven't seen that movie, the interviews that Polly and the whole Vax 2 team does, it's really, it's eye-opening. I, I just, just, 
do whatever you can to see it. I think you can download it from their website and um, there's a small fee for that and um, to pay for their expenses to make it and whatnot. But yes. it, it's very, very powerful. And and you'll, you'll hear back and forth the testimonies of the parents, um, vax versus unvax. It's It goes to the point exactly of what you were saying. Yes, and the AVN carries both of those DVDs. I was incredibly lucky to be at the premiere in Washington, D.C. during the... Um, vie event uh and i was there too oh i wish i'd met you then <laughs> there I were so many people and i found it i mean vaxxed one is amazing but vaxxed two because it covers the issue of the unvaccinated as well um i think that it it's even more powerful i remember watching it and i was sitting in the back of the theater just sobbing and then polly's bouncing this unvaccinated baby on her lap and and i thought What's happening here? What's happening here? And then she goes over all these families who have unvaccinated children and how healthy they are. And it just lifts you up. But it also, I think, gives you confidence because too many parents think if I don't vaccinate my child, they're going to die from one of these diseases. So it's important to see that. Yeah, I know we went through pertussis with both of my kids. My kids went to a Waldorf school and there were a lot of kids that were unvaccinated. And, you know, I'm not saying that it was pleasant, but not once was I ever feel fearful for their lives. I, it was more a pity party for my husband and I, because we would hear them cough and, you know, they would cough and, you know, they cough some stuff up, they'd go back to sleep, but then we'd be up. And like, so that, for us, the, the, the worst side effect was lots of sleep for the parents, you know, we were, you know, but the kids were healthy and, um, you know, so they were able to do that, you know, same thing, we had chicken pox, um, gosh, you know, probably flew a couple times. I don't know. We never tested for it, but it was, you know, cold for a few days and maybe sometimes missing a couple days of school, a fever. And honestly, um, I know, I remember getting the flu back in 2009 when it was that strain that was going around the H1N1, yes. I yeah. think, you know, and it, it, it was, it was nasty. I was in bed for five days. Um, but you know, I, I had a different perspective on it. This was like the first time that I didn't have to make lunches for school. <laughs> Nobody was in my bathroom. I laid in bed. I got to watch TV for a few days <laughs> and I did nothing. And I lost a few pounds. I was like, oh my gosh, this was like <laughs> win, renewal. Win. <laughs> yeah, for an exhausted mom who was, you know, busy with her work and then, you know, raising a family and like, oh, you know, no, I, you know, in all seriousness, being sick isn't fun. But I felt so different afterwards, like with between having a fever and sweating a lot, I felt renewed. I felt sure. I, I don't even know the explanation for all that. But, you know, sometimes, you know, good old cleansing of the body and, you know, um, you know, that's just we're missing that we're missing. I remember hearing a doctor in KO talk about how kids who actually had the measles had less inflammatory conditions and other kinds of um conditions i don't you know want to make any medical claims because i'm not a doctor mm. but i i miss the fact that there's just not the depth of the study in there is there a role you know for some of the childhood illnesses and and what what is that role if anything you know we're we do you know our immune systems are very complex and um 
not everything is out to get us, you know? (laughs) Absolutely. And my kids also went to Steiner, which is what Waldorf is called in Australia, all the way through from preschool right to year 12 uh, before university. And um, we had an anthroposophical doctor that would come and treat the children at the school. And he explained, and I saw this with my own children, uh, my kids all got whooping cough, including the one who was injured by the whooping cough vaccine. We all got it. And my youngest daughter at the time, she'd had, since she was born, this problem where if she ever got a cold, she would have croup and she would be like barking and it was quite scary. And when she got whooping cough, she also was very late to speak. And I think it was because she was the youngest of four and she didn't have to speak. All she had to do was point and go, eh? And her, you know, her brothers and sister would get whatever it was she wanted for her. And when she got over whooping cough, she had this huge developmental spurt where she started speaking in full sentences when she was barely saying words before that. And she never again had the croup and her, her growth and her health improved so much. And the anthroposophical doctor explained to me that in his experience, all of these um, benign childhood diseases like measles, mumps, rubella, whooping cough, chicken pox are there for a reason. Children will get them if they need them. And they need to get them as children, not as adults, because it's much better. And that's what that's what he said to me. And I've seen over the years that I agree with that Uh, in my experience, and this is only me, I'm not a doctor either, but in my experience, those children who have these childhood diseases as children, tend to be a lot healthier afterwards and do have those, you know, developmental spurts, those growth spurts where they change their their cognition and their health um, because they have cleared things out of their system. And there was a study that was done in Scandinavia someplace. I don't know if it was Sweden, but it said that children who got measles as children without being vaccinated against measles were less likely to have certain cancers as they got older. And there are all these studies out there. People just need to be able to access them and the fear of the diseases uh, and I don't even want to call them diseases they're infections the fear of these infections is part of the problem Um, I've told this story a million times so excuse me everybody who's watching this but I have a friend who's a chiropractor and she raised her children that when they got ill she would celebrate it. She would say, this is fantastic. You're having a health expression. Let's get into bed. Let's have some soup. Let's let's read books. And they had no fear of getting sick at all. Um, and they actually celebrated it because they knew that that was their body moving through something, getting rid of something that they shouldn't have had and going on to the next stage. So I think we need to change our thinking on this too. So um, it's really important. So I wanna show very quickly um, the NVIC advocacy portal, because I think this is a brilliant website. And I know you said you're going to be updating it fairly soon, but there's so much information here. And I know that you have to register in order to see a lot of it. I just wanted to say the update is going to be in the formatting to be more mobile friendly. Uh-huh. The actual legislative information on there, we update it every single day. So the actual content is completely up to date. We're just going to make it so that you can access and contact your legislators through it, through your mobile phone a lot easier. That's the update that we have. And you must have a lot of people helping you with this because I'm looking down here. These are all the bills to watch. And with 50 states, there must be an awful lot of bills. Um, And you've got all the states. Over 500 right now on there. And uh, we have a very small team and we just work really hard and work long hours. God bless the volunteers. I'm serious. Uh, I don't think anybody realizes. 
you know, um, my assistant, Cindy Loveland, she's amazing. You know, she does an initial pass on the bills. I formulate the positions on everything, the talking points, the strategies. I write the bills that we try and get filed. I write amendments for legislators and, um, you know, across the 50 states. Yeah, we are, you know, talk about juggling. We're definitely juggling. And then we work with these amazing groups, each state, you know, that we try and work with a group similar to your group. you know, and uh, the, these volunteers that are there, like you said, amazing volunteers that are there talking to their legislators, getting the people in their states. Then we have our email list and we all try and work together. We have a really, like you had said earlier, a really uh, strong desire to come together and work to get the job done. And um, we're definitely doing that. Um, you know, we have a long way to go, but we are we have many, many feathers in our cap this of things passing that we wanted to pass and, and bills dying that we did not want to pass. And we've been doing this since 2009 on the portal. And, um, wow. you know, we, we went from one session, you know, only having like, you know, a small amount under a hundred bills, you know, our first, I think our first or second session we had, you know, I don't know, 18 or 19 bills. And now, you know, now we're like, or, you know, just under a hundred and now um, we track over a thousand, but on the portal, we have active over 500 and uh, in, you know, in all the States. And um, it's a, it's a lot, but it's a one-stop shop for people. So, you know, for the people, you know, that are listening in Australia. I know you don't have a system like this yet, but I think, you know, I know that Meryl's committed to, you know, bringing something online like this, but don't wait for it. Like I said earlier, just pick up the phone, call your legislator and talk about your concerns. You know, if you've been hearing rumblings that your job is going to make you get the vaccine, now's the time to talk. Don't wait. You know, if you don't want that to happen, if you really don't want to take the shot and, you know, uh, it's it's don't don't be make sure that if you decide to take the vaccine that it's an often informed choice you know and that you know all the risks and you're going into it don't do it because somebody's got your arm twisted and saying you can't feed your kids there's always another job change careers whatever if you're dead set against it don't let somebody coerce you only do it if you you know if you, that's really what you want to do and that goes for anything any medical procedure you know make sure that you're doing what you want to do based on the information that you have absolutely and and that is such an important message because we have ceded we have given up our control over our own bodies and the bodies of our children by complying with these things and you know we need to stand up and say I don't consent to taking a procedure that I don't think is in my best interest simply to keep my job there will always be something else and one thing that I think um, has been happening in Australia that's really wonderful and you've probably got something similar in the United States is small community groups have started up and if someone is out of work because of this or if someone needs a babysitter because they can't get their children into uh, childcare because they're not vaccinating, there are local groups that will assist with that. There are uh, groups that will make meals for families that have not been able to pay their bills or, you know, help them with this, you know, d- take up donations. Uh, I guess it's what churches have always done and it's we're doing it now on a community level and it's it's good in a way because the people are, are seeing that they have the power to do this, but it's also good because they're seeing that the government doesn't have the power to do this, that we can do what we want. 
Mm-hmm. You can't rely on the government to do everything for you. Yeah. Um, you know, the other thing I, I want people to think about, you know, the time when vaccines became compulsory, you know, when when they, you know, just recently um, how, you know, the schedule really has more than doubled in the past 20 years in terms of the vaccines that the kids get. And, you know, I want you to turn back the clock to that. And like, this is where we are right now. Do you want the adults to be treated just like the way the kids have this this scheme set up to kind of you know force them to be vaccinated to go to school because that's where we are right now you know they're looking at trying to do this do the same type of compulsory situation with adults as they have for children so now is definitely the time and you know back to the children something that i want to bring up my boss barbara fisher She's always said you know you have to listen to the mothers the mothers know their kids and they have this we we have, every mother knows this, we have intuition. And how many times have we gone against that intuition and then just regretted it? And I, you know, you know your child better than anybody. If somebody's telling you to do something with your child with regard to vaccination and something in your gut is not to talk to, don't, don't accept that. Like really get to the bottom of why you're concerned and ask the questions and, you know, don't be bullied. Just like don't be bullied for your job. Don't be bullied with your child. If something in your gut is telling you you need to look more into this, you can look more into this. Find another practitioner. Talk to more people. But don't be bullied because it's you can't take the shot out. You can't reverse this stuff, you know. Um, Absolutely. You know, find, uh, make sure you get the information that you need and don't be bullied into something before you're confident it's something you want to do or don't want to do. That That is so true. And I've got to tell you, that's something I never had a gut instinct when I vaccinated my son. I never even thought twice about it. I just thought it was like sugar water. It was not a problem. But after listening to over 400 families on the Australian Vaxed Bus um, tell their stories of vaccine injuries, the vast majority, I'd say 80 to 90 percent of these parents said, I knew in my gut I shouldn't be doing this, but I did it anyway because I was told, because I felt I had to, whatever. So that is a really important message. We need to listen to our gut instinct if it's telling us something. And you're right, they regretted it greatly, not doing that. So it's something that we Mm -hmm. need to be aware of. Yeah. Yeah. And then for other people who've had reactions like they just, you know, you trust your doctor, you just, you go along, you don't know. There's an expression that fits this situation so well. It's, you don't know what you don't know. That's right. And yeah. And, you know, I, I think that, spending some time and communicating with your legislators, you know, also with people that have young children and, uh, or a mom that's pregnant, you know, you don't want to come on overbearing. You don't want to make them feel like you're being pushy or anything, but throw out a lifeline and just let them know, you know, I've been studying the vaccine issue for a little while. If you have some questions, I have some books I can point you towards. I have some websites, you know, and just throw it out there. Sometimes, um, you don't know what 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 will happen or what what they're up against and maybe they have some concerns but they don't know where to look and you know and if if they're you know happy to go vaccinate their kids and they're going to do that that's not going to change things but you know i i see so many families that have said i wish somebody had said something to me i would have looked into this i just didn't know any better yes i remember that um mma fighter 
I think he's in New Jersey, Nick um, Catone, and his wife Marjorie, when their son died, she came on the internet and she was very angry. Why didn't anyone tell me this in advance? And and I felt really bad because there's a, an essay I just read a couple of days ago. It was written in 1944 by, I think his name is Arthur Kessler, and it was shared by Bruce Weinstein, um, who is a Dark Horse podcast. If anybody wants to listen to something quite good, um, it is very good. And I read this um, this essay, and it's called The Screamers. And um, it was written in 1944 at the time when the United States was first becoming aware of what was happening in the concentration camps in Germany. And people were turning their backs on it. They weren't believing it because they couldn't believe that people could do that to other people. Mm -hmm. And he was talking about... Um, he felt like he could see people's eyes glazing over. And I'm sure you've had that experience. I have as well when you talk about the vaccination issue with someone who's just not ready to hear it. And um, he was saying that we are the screamers. We are the people who are out there telling what is possible, what is happening, what we have to protect ourselves against and why we need to act. And they are the people who just can't hear our voice no matter how loudly we scream. And it, in a way, it was a downer, but in a way, it was also something that made me want to continue because all we have to do is find the right words to communicate with these people. And what we have on our website is how to communicate with people who are not questioning this, is this issue, not COVID, but vaccination. And it involves asking questions. Um, how, what have you studied about this? Have you read anything about this particular thing? Have you heard about this side effect? Have you heard about how vaccines are tested? Asking them questions that will expose to them the fact that they maybe need to look into this a little bit more. Um, and that brings me to one of the last points that I wanted to ask you, because you discussed when we were speaking earlier about the fact that you are training um, advocates. And uh, I'd really like to hear more about that, because people feel incapable of becoming an advocate for their own family, for their community, for themselves. And I'd like to know how that works, if you can tell me a little bit about it. Sure, of course. And also, do you have a way to get messages out to people along with this video? Because we have, a, I, I did a 30 minute training video on how to talk to your legislators, what to say, how to, how to structure it, if you're going to give some kind of a testimonial or something, you know, how to break it down. So I'll get you that link when we're done. And I maybe you can post this at the end of the video. That would be um, brilliant. We have an, yeah. email, an email list with about 20,000 people on it. And I would definitely send that out to everybody if you would be good enough to share it with us. Oh, that would be fantastic. That would be really oh, good. <laughs> so, you know, I think um, one of the things that we train people to do is we train people, we we do the analysis on the legislation here and then we tell people at what stage the bill is and what that means for them in terms of who they should contact and so i think we have a little bit more access here that than you all may have but during COVID, i think we all had you know basically about the same type of access although you know in texas we're back open i went and testified in person it was wonderful i did not have to wear a mask in the hallways um I had to wear a mask for a little bit in the Senate chamber only when it was in the chamber, but then that stopped too. And, uh, you know, it was like everything was back to normal. Um, but, 
I think it's important to structure what you're going to say ahead of time and maybe practice. You can't just throw up on somebody on the phone and expect they're busy. You have to be able to cut your, your message down to, you know, just if you're giving a testimonial, like two or three minutes, if you're talking on the phone, like maybe a minute and, um, tell your story and, uh, have that done ahead of time. Your story should take no longer than 30 seconds and you should be able to say it in your sleep. And your story is what happened, like what, what your perspective is, like what, what your background is and then why this is important to you. And then you take those two pieces and then you tie that with a issue that you're advocating and bring it together. So for instance, my story could be that I had a really bad reaction when I was a child, I almost died and I um, did not want, uh, I don't want my kids to have to be mandated vaccines because of their genetic background and my family, my history of vaccine reactions. And I would really appreciate it if you would support the bill that would add exemptions or prevent you know them from having to get a vaccine for work or something it's literally as simple as that everybody's story is going to be different and again it's you know what what inspired you your aha moment of what happened how did you come to this issue why you're doing this and then relate it back to the issue of what you're doing let's meryl let's have you practice tell your story in 30 seconds let's have you try it no pressure no pressure (laughs) okay Uh, my name is meryl jory and i have a son my eldest who reacted to his vaccines twice Seriously, he is 32 years old today and he is still affected by what happened to him back then. And as a result, I chose not to vaccinate my other children. And I want to have the right to do that. I want them as adults to have the right to do that with their own children. And I believe seriously that we have bodily integrity and I want the government to support that right and not try to contradict it or restrict it in any way. So I would like to know if you will support legislation or introduce legislation that will um, allow us to maintain our inalienable rights. That's perfect. That's perfect. You know, like really it's, there's, there's really nothing wrong. You can say, you know, it's, it's just, it's, it's coming across as relatable as a human being and you're relating what's important to you and your experiences so that they can consider another perspective. Remember at the beginning of us talking garbage in garbage out. Mm-hmm. If all they're hearing from are from the drug companies and they're not hearing about the victims or, or the policies and how it's affecting your family, they're gonna do bad legislation. You have to get your story to them and information to them. Get a get an email address for the main staff or ask them if you can forward information from time to time as you have it. You know, and you know, I hope I hope Australia is able to realize and recognize that it's so important to protect people's rights on this yeah. and that you're able to get legislation that would prevent companies um, and businesses, when you frequent them as customers and then, you know, employers from mandating adults, we don't want to have adult mandates. We don't want to turn, we don't want to turn back, you know, and, and repeat for the adults what's happened to the children with the mandates. It's going to be devastating. It's not going to be a society we're going to be happy to be living in, to have to show your vaccine status in order to do things. Mm-hmm. It's it's terrible because, you know, it, it, 
it's not what our countries were founded on. Absolutely not. We are in an emergency, but it's not the emergency that the government is talking about. It's an emergency <laughs> yeah. made by the government, and uh, we need to, we need to stop it. Yeah. Dawn, it is such a pleasure speaking with you. Um, I cannot wait for the day that I can finally go back to the United States and maybe we can meet in person. And we uh... love that. <laughs> yeah, um, and then let's do this again as oh, you know absolutely. we get to the end of our session here, and I can give you some more facts, figures, and statistics as we do the analysis of what happened. I think there's a lot to learn from that, and we can go into some of the model language that we had that was successful and pass that on so people can have that in their hands. So they can email that to legislators. Um, and yeah, I would absolutely love to continue this conversation. Yeah. I'm so grateful that you reached out to have me on. And um, for all those families out there that are feeling like, uh, you know, you just there's not, not an end in sight. There is. And just keep calling your legislators. Be that pain in the neck. Be that person that's constantly educating them because there's going to be an aha moment for that person at some point. It may be sooner, it may be later, but they're, they can't unhear what you have to say. And that's for sure. Oh, that's brilliant. Thank you again so much. And I will definitely be back in touch. I think that your message is an important one for everyone to hear. And I also think that what the government and the media are terrified of is that organizations like ours will work together and share and empower people more. And that is exactly what we need to do. So I hope they are scared because they should be. <laughs> Thank you so much, Dawn. I really appreciate it.